Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Good to talk to you. Good to be here. Um, I uh, had my uh, second shot. I know you had your you've had your second vaccine, I believe. Yep, I'm I'm Club AstraZeneca. I got like the dollar store vaccination. Did you get both AstraZeneca? I did. <clears throat> it's interesting. I, had, I actually looked for the second AstraZeneca because not because I don't believe in the mixing and matching stuff, but it's just like, eh, you know, I'm, I've gone this far. I'll just keep on going with the same one. I'm sure there's a booster shot sometime in all of our futures. So, you know, I'll make it up then. I thought that they'd stopped giving the AstraZeneca shot. Oh, you gotta, you gotta know a guy. You gotta get to know a guy, a back <laughs> no, alley I got, vaccinator. I, I, I got it before uh, we gave away all our AstraZeneca to uh, third world countries. Oh, it okay. Was, uh, yeah, it's just like, oh, well, before we ship it. them overseas, let's yeah. give one. To, let's give one to Lawtons. Because so, uh, <laughs> I, I got the the mix and match. Oh, I got uh, what, AstraZeneca, and yeah. then I got Moderna. No, and how were you? Uh, I was sick as a dog for a day. <laughs> I've heard that from a lot of people. You know, and I, I don't want to discourage people from getting vaccinated. It's important. Being sick is, you know, for a day or two is was way better than getting. Well, COVID, uh, listen, if, if if the vaccine caused me to feel like hell for a day, imagine how long COVID would make me feel bad for yeah, and how much for- worse. It's like you know, that's what Leanna said to me is if this is what the vaccine vaccination makes you feel like, I don't want to know what COVID feels like. Yeah. So, you know, now my son who's 19 uh, was double dosed with uh, uh, with um, Pfizer. And, you know, my first shot of AstraZeneca, I felt a little fluey for about 12 hours and then I was okay. He felt kind of the same way with his first shot of Pfizer. With with AstraZeneca, a little fluey. For, yeah, yeah, but you know, it, it passed. So. You know, I went yeah. to bed. I woke up. I was fine. Yeah, and my son had his second shot. Uh, he he was double Pfizered, and uh, he was fine. The second, you know, second shot. You know, he I think he was kind of disappointed. He was looking to getting some sympathy or something. And and he, you know, like, how do you feel? Oh, I feel fine. It's like, okay, well, that's good. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it's good. It's like, well, you know, you're, I, you're uh, my arm and my Leanna's arm as well. Both our arms just got so sore like really feeling hugely bruised. And then uh, the next morning, because we got it late, uh, like six o'clock, seven o'clock, I forget, in the evening. The next morning, um, I was just, uh, uh, I was not useful for the rest of the day. Let's put it that way. I was- (laughs) Oh, the jokes write themselves. Oh, yes, they do. (laughs) Um, Even on a regular scale, I was not useful. And, uh, but then it just started, started, it, it, it rapidly faded away. And now I feel much better knowing that I have this protection should it hit me. Cause I, you know, I've got a friend who's uh, late forties and felt healthy, fit, active guy who got uh, COVID in January and he's still not uh, back to normal. And he had no comorbidities. I've known a few people who this story has repeated itself in varying forms that uh, they get COVID and it, it, it just lands them flat on their ass and they just can't get right back up again. It's not like the flu where you're miserable for a few days and then a few days later, you're, you're back like it never happened. Uh, this, is, uh, this sickness is really potent. And so as long as I, if I've got the, the vaccine, which means that even if I get it, it won't be as potent, I feel a hell of a lot better about going places now. And now I have to wait two weeks for it to be fully effective. But yeah. just knowing it's just knowing it's there, I'm fine to to have a Saturday afternoon that I'm not particularly useful uh, in exchange for that kind of protection. But 
because I one of my vaccinations is AstraZeneca and both of yours are, that may mean that we are I can't get on a cruise ship. To, we can't go to the States. Nope. Yeah. Not we, yet. Not yet. I, it's I wonder, do you think that this is eventually going to change? Oh, of course uh, it will. I mean, as the science comes out, I mean, I saw there's a big thing just the other day about all the cruise lines, uh, uh, you know, saying, you know, this, you know, you can, you can't get on a cruise if you've had a, a mix and match vaccine. So if you've had two different uh, company vaccinations, then you, you cannot get on certain cruise lines. I don't know how they decided that. And I wouldn't be taking their medical advice either because weren't the cruise lines like ground zero for COVID uh, when it first, uh, bro- uh, the first outbreak, it was on, it was mostly on cruise lines. Um, well, which, sure, people are, I mean, they're packed and, and, together very closely. And I, I'm not a cruise person either. I think I, I went on one on my honeymoon and it was very, very brief. And, you know, it was my honeymoon. So, you know, I, I didn't spend a lot of time in the buffet line. Um, uh, but, I've been uh, on the BC ferry and the <laughs> ferry to, on, to, to, to Center Island and back. I'm not sure um, those count. Yeah, those are, those are my experiences with uh, ocean-going or sea-going vessels and on the Mate of the Mist at Niagara Falls. <laughs> Those are you, my experiences. You got the best of it then. Yeah, yeah well, that's that's as much as I wish to expand. But it's just, it's once again, this, this uh, crossword puzzle of science that you fill in something here and it makes another, another word down the road. It's like, it's uh, a dominoes falling and nobody can really, nobody has a real solid grasp as to look, does it do mix and match uh, vaccines do they work? Are they as valid as you know homogeneous vaccines? Can you if you if I've had you know uh, an AstraZeneca and a Moderna, can I now go and try to get myself an AstraZeneca or a Moderna so that I've got two of the same, or am I only allowed two shots altogether? You know, it's it, 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 it's we're back to the same sort of confusion that was there at the beginning of COVID. Yeah, and the messaging has has been uniformly terrible. I mean, whether it's out of the CDC or out of the science table in Ontario. World Health Organization. Or the World Health Organization. I mean, and part of it is, you know, it's new. It's not well understood in a lot of ways. I mean, there's lots of little studies. I mean, and there there seems to be a study about every second day. I mean, there was a study that said that uh, mixing and matching, uh, you know, AstraZeneca first and then getting either Moderna or Pfizer actually produced a more robust uh, immune response and actually gave you better protection than double dosing with any of those. Um, and there's a big world, it, there is a, a giant you know, laboratory um, going on right now because so many people have had the vaccine. You'd think, uh, you know, there'd, there'd be a lot of studies and there seem to be a lot of little studies out there and they're starting to get some big studies. But, you know, the bottom line is the vaccine works. You know, maybe not the Russian or the Chinese one as much, but the, uh, you know, the, the big four with varying levels of efficacy. But, you know, and, and the, this, this poor messaging um, that you know, some of it is because it's changing uh, information. So what was true, you know, they're still going after Fauci in the States for, uh, you know, at the CDC for at one point saying, uh, you know, masks aren't that important. We don't think it's spread that way to, oh my God, it is spread that way. It isn't spread by contact on surfaces for all those people who are boiling their mail and uh, <laughs> and, and rubbing all of their uh, their groceries with Lysol. Um, they, they now 
So, well, it really doesn't spread by contact anymore. It is droplets. It is breath. It is close contact with people who are breathing on you and coughing on you and, and spitting on you. Um, so, you know, when, when it changes, they go like, wait a second, you told me a little while ago that I didn't need a mask because it was by, you know, licking doorknobs that I got this thing. And, you know, but now you're saying I could lick all the doorknobs I like, just, you know, wear a mask. Um, and so the science, there's a real inflexibility in thinking these days about, about changing circumstances. And science is like that. Science has a theory um, that is valid until you can find a better theory to fit the facts as you get more facts. Yeah, it, and to use the science's previous errors as some kind of indication that they're probably wrong now, um, that's not really how science works. Science advances by uh, picking up information and you know, through studies and, and observation and so on. So the later uh, ruling is more likely to be accurate than the earlier one, just for that purpose. So if they were wrong before, they're gonna be wrong now is, is most unlikely. That's not how science tends to work. Yeah. So, but that's what people fall back on. Cause again, we've talked about on this show that there are people who simply don't want to believe that this is real because believing it puts pressure on them to do the right to, thing or to do anything and it's inconvenient and rather than be inconvenienced it's easier to simply say it's just not true and to walk around as if you are one of the enlightened and the rest of us uh have our eyes to the ground like uh, like serfs in uh that classic film metropolis you know we're just uh, going about our business with our head down shuffling our feet doing what we're told and which always aggravates me that, well, you guys do what you're told, you're sheep. It's like, you know, so they tell you not to poke your eye with a sharp stick. If you don't do that, are you, are you a sheep? It's, you know, they, they tell you not to run across the street against the light. If you choose to, to, to observe the traffic lights, are you a sheep? You know, the, the, these, this idea that observing common sense safety makes you somehow uh, somebody incapable of critical thought is in, it is inverse to the reality. Well, and, and the thing about emerging science is it's still best to be cautious. Whatever the truth ends up being, it's better to be cautious than it is to say, you know, I, I can't, I don't know what to believe. So I'm just going to, you know, live my life, uh, you know, you know, tap dancing on, on, on the, uh, on the edge of the cliff. It's like, you know what, why don't you just be cautious for a little bit? It may turn out that you wasted all this time. I mean, it's sort of like climate change as well. It's like, well, what's the worst that could happen if you're a climate change denier and we go through this whole exercise of cleaning up the environment and making the air breathable and not cutting down the forests, you know, that's still not a bad outcome, even it turns out that climate change isn't man-made. I mean, it is man-made, uh, certainly. Yes, but, but, but again, it, but people who don't still, believe it, like, there's still wise steps to be taken, regardless if you believe it's man-made or not. It still makes sense not to shit where you eat. Exactly, so to, and, so to speak. And when it comes to masking and stuff like that, it's like, oh, okay, sure. There, have I been inconvenienced with a mask? There's been times when I've got halfway to the to the store and went, ah, oh, damn it, I forgot my mask. Yeah, back to the car. Um, back to the car. It's like, okay, I've done that two or three times now. Um, and it's annoying, but the other side of it is, do I wander around inside without a mask the way a lot of Americans have been doing the last little while and they're kind of getting used to that again. 
And now they're facing having to mask up because their numbers are skyrocketing among the unvaccinated, like 99% of the hospitalizations and deaths are among the unvaccinated. That should tell you something right there. Um, but they're still complaining like, wait a second, you told me I had I could take off my mask now. Now you're telling me to put it back on? Yes, because things have changed. changed. We've got a Delta variant out there. It is a new strain. It is four times as um, as transmissible as the old one. So people are getting sick. They say, well, we're saying some people who've been vaccinated are, are getting sick too. I said, yes, because a bigger pop, a proportion of the population has been vaccinated. So even if it's a small percentage of the vaccinated people, it's a much bigger pool of people who've now been vaccinated. So it looks like a much bigger number proportionally than it was. It's just, you know, numbers. But people want to believe what they want to believe because they don't want to have to change their lives. And somehow, you know, like you said, they're privy to some secret knowledge that has evaded every immunologist, uh, every respirologist, every research scientist on the planet. Yeah, and when in the future, they're looking back at uh, this period of time. I hope that they are flabbergasted by how much the uh, reaction and the actions taken with regards to COVID in the United States were shaped by political identity as opposed to science. I hope that they're flabbergasted by it because that would mean that they're in a place where that kind of thing has passed. Uh, and is is firmly entrenched in you know in the distant past, but it's this whole idea of first of all political identity being so rooted in someone's personal identity now, and then they uh, thanks to Trump and his supporters they grafted the belief in COVID and the response to COVID onto a, a set of political ideologies or political behaviors, and so you've got. A United States, which I think is pretty much at the capacity. It's not, I don't think that they're going to get uh, much more of their population vaccinated than where they are now, which is at about 50%. I think, and, and if you look at the outcome of the last uh, election in the United States, you'll see that it was about half the country that supported Trump, or half the, the country that voted supported Trump, while more than half little more than half uh, voted for uh, Biden, the country is riven in two. And so it's not terribly surprising that the vaccines have stopped at around 50%. And I just, they're offering, you know, they're offering all kinds of incentives to people. Oh, and they have celebrities and sports figures and movies. Well, it doesn't seem to be, they really seem to have hit a hard ceiling when it comes to, so, you know, when we talk about me being doubled vaccinated with AstraZeneca in the United States not letting me in. I don't really mind at the moment because there's no way I'm going down there, you know, between the, you know, the non-masking and the no, but some of the, some of the staunchest, you know, anti, anti-vaxxers, uh, you're Rick DeSantis, uh, governor of, uh, of Florida, Florida yeah. has, you know, who was a vac, you know, a COVID skeptic from the beginning. Then he was a mask. He still is an anti-masking person. Um, and he was, at best lukewarm, if not hostile to vaccination, has just come out because Florida now has between a fifth and a quarter of all 
the COVID case, new COVID cases in the United States. The place is on fire right now um, when it comes to, to COVID. And he just came out in the last, last day saying, you know what, everyone should get vaccinated. It's important. Mitch McConnell, who has been a skeptic and critic of, of all things CDC and, 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 and all the rest, just said every, every American should get vaccinated. So some of the Republicans are starting to realize that if their base dies from COVID uh, and they are really the only sick people who can't drag themselves to the poll, the Republican Party is not going to have much of a future because their, their base is getting sick and dying. Well, you think about the fact that their, their base, their ardent base is older. It's an, it's an older cohort. And those are the, you look at the, the victims of COVID, the ones who, who passed away, they tend to be older. So the Republicans are, are playing their uh, liar while uh, the, 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 their party support burns. It's, they're going to wind up with less uh, of a voting base because they're dead. And now 600,000 or however many there are dead now in a country of 300 something million, it's not enough to really say it's gonna tip the balance appreciably one way or another, but in some states it could. It, it depends on where the concentration of deaths are and how many in certain states and how close the vote typically is in those states. So while the numbers writ large don't look like they could have a giant impact, the fact of where they're occurring could have a very big electoral impact. Yeah, and as people get sick and uh, realize that they've been lied to by the Republican leadership about you know, certain elements uh, of the Republican leadership. They've been lied to and it, and it has ha affected their families, their health. Uh, you know, there's been deaths, there are long haulers, there are people who just uh, you know, went bankrupt because the, uh, the, the cost of hospitalization has, has driven them in the United States into bankruptcy as a result of someone in the family getting COVID. They're starting to look around going, wait a second, maybe maybe these Republican people lied to me. And maybe, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm not a big believer that a lot of these people are going are gonna to have their, uh, their uh, illumination on the uh, road to Damascus and have this moment where uh, they, they realize that the, you know, supporting the Republican Party has been a, a terrible mistake, certainly in, in its current iteration. But I think there may be enough people who suffer real personal consequences from COVID, uh, from direct participation in, in the illness in their family that they may realize that they've been lied to by you know originally by DeSantis and by by uh, you know the, uh, the 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 caucus in uh, in Washington and they may sour on the Republican party because they gave them really bad advice you, you think that's you think that's going to happen like there'll be an appreciable number that 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 come to that realization i think that there's such cognitive dissonance that even if they get sick they won't connect it to the bad advice that they got from the Republicans. I think they'll just wall it off and leave their, their ardor for the Republicans untouched. Well, and, and there are unfortunately concrete examples of that. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stories, not apocryphal, but you know, real, real stories of people literally dying in a hospital of COVID who are still denying that COVID exists and that, that they're basically dying of a hoax. Um, and, uh, so if you're on your deathbed and, uh, you're not realizing what's happening to you, uh, it's, it, it pretty much a 
good indication of that cognitive dissonance. That's uh, literally dying of stupidity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's starting to turn a little bit, but you know, I think you're right. I think there's there's still enough people that you know you can't you you cannot get through to them. They they are so walled off. Yeah, and and, and you know some of this is is, is American culture. Uh, I, um, I mentioned uh, former Ohio, Ohio Governor uh, John Kasich uh, was on CNN the other day because uh, he you know he was on to discuss ostensibly why Canada had surpassed the United States in percentage of, of fully vaccinated population, uh, which it did this last week. Um, you know, Canada is now 51% and, and rising. And like you said, the United States is, is at about 49% and stuck. And, you know, we, we keep moving forward and they're scrambling. And, you know, CNN was saying, okay, you know, former Republican governor, why? Why is Canada doing better than us? And they said, you know, we started later. We don't have any domestic supply. We don't have any of the natural advantages of the United States, and you know, being being Republican, he really couldn't explain because the explanation, I think, is really a bunch of non-Republican things. It's that Canada has a universal health care system, uh, that Canada has a social security net, that you know, we have a population that is on the whole better educated and is a little more trusting of science. You know, we have a culture of caring for each other instead of this rugged individualism in the United States, which is I got mine and screw you. Um, you know, Canada, we try to look after our neighbors. And you know, we fail all the time and all these sorts of things, but this is what we aspire to. And, you know, all of these things explain why we are getting vaccinated in big numbers. I mean, we're up to over 70% of Canadians who have received one dose. Um, and uh, the United States is looking at us um, and going like, well, yeah, and, we, and we've had a government as well that has been, you know, both conservative and, and, and liberal, been willing, some of them a little more reluctantly than others, to close down the economy and just say, look, you know, restaurants? No, you can't have restaurants. Yes, you got to wear a mask. Um, and, you know, we're, we're as, as concerned about civil liberties, I think, as, as Americans are, but we also realize it comes with a lot of responsibilities. And sometimes, you know, the answer is no. No, you can't do that. Not now. I mean, you'll, there'll be a day when we can go back to doing all this stuff. But a lot of Canadians will grumble. There's a small group of, you know, very vocal anti-vaxxers who like to show up at every street corner. Uh, but, uh, you know, they are very much the minority. And the last thing is Americans... I think we, we talked a long time ago about this, that Americans self-identify about 25% as evangelical Christian. And that comes with a whole bag of rocks. I mean, that comes with a distrust of science, a distrust of government, um, you know, a, a belief that faith is your shield against disease. And Canadians, we don't have that. I mean, Canadians can be religious, but we don't have that kind of really far out there um, right-wing evangelical Christian group that swings a big political stick that gets in the no. way. My, so, uh, my closest friend is a uh, Southern Baptist pastor and he got, he and the people at his church got the, the vaccine as soon as it was available and have obeyed uh, all the rules because they want to keep their, uh, their parishioners safe and healthy. So they shut down regular church services and turned it into a uh, turned it into an internet program that they pre-recorded. That there was limited number of people, the legal amount of people 
were there to do the, the sermon and the music and, and record it at the same time. And um, so he's you know, clearly a person of faith, of committed faith, but also somebody who believes the science. There's the, that war between science and faith that exists in the United States and appears to be getting broader just isn't really here. I mean, there's, there are examples where there have been uh, some churches which have defied the, they defied the, uh, the lockdown, they defied the limits on the number of people inside, uh, they, divide, they defied social distancing, they defied mask rules, but you, you have to look to find them because they're, I mean, you'll find them because there's news about them because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. It, there's no news in, well, the church in this neighborhood followed the rules. You're not gonna see that on the news because that isn't news. It's news when somebody does something contrary to public safety or public common sense. So it might seem like there are more, but they're not. The faith groups in this country um, still, they don't have the, the hostility towards science that you find in uh, a number of American faith groups. No, and you know, I think it's significant that the the place where the greatest concentration of these evangelical churches who have fought against COVID restrictions um, are are in Alberta, which is the most American of our provinces. Yeah, not in a good way. No, 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 no not, <laughs> not 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 in a good. I mean, they look south to their culture as opposed to east or west. Uh, you know, it, it, it's an interesting sociological phenomenon. But in it's, it's it's by far from all Albertans. But there is a a real core there of evangelical Christians and that uh, rugged self uh, determinism that seems to be the uh, the earmark of a petro state. Yeah. I, uh, I wonder if, I mean, during our lifetime, the U.S. Is, is, in my view, cracking up that they've had wake-up calls. Trump was a good wake-up call, and they didn't wake up. And instead, they've gone the other direction. You've got, the, you've got uh, in Texas, where they're uh, proposing legislation that would drop... Um, any mention of the Ku Klux Klan as being immoral or wrong from the curriculum, you couldn't, the teacher couldn't say that they're, that they're wrong, can't say that racism is wrong because they're fighting against critical race theory, which is a straw man argument because no school was teaching critical race theory. No. And so all of this, we're going to ban them from teaching it. Fine, because they weren't teaching it, but they're using it as uh, a distraction so that they can go in and shut down Americans ability to look at their history with a, a critical lens with an honest lens and recognize where they've made, they've been wrong and how they can fix it. You're not allowed to suggest that anything was wrong in the founding of America. You're not allowed to su suggest that it was founded upon the labor of slaves and slavery and the product of slavery. You're not allowed to suggest that the Ku Klux Klan are uh, immoral. You're not allowed, they're, they're dropping from the curriculum things like Martin Luther King's uh, I Have a Dream speech or, or letters from a Birmingham jail. They're dropping those things from the curriculum. And the thing about them being dropped from the curriculum is they're not banned, but they're dropped, which means that a teacher could potentially teach them. But the way America is today, a teacher risks their career, risks their job teaching something that's outside the curriculum. Yeah. Because you're going to get somebody who goes home and tells their parents that they heard about Martin Luther King's speech and their racist parents 
are going to freak out about it um, because God forbid you should say anything that's true about America's you know past discretions indiscretions. Um, and they'll drum up enough problems to get this teacher fired. And then once you're fired in one for being a troublemaker in one place, you're never going to get another job. So while it doesn't expressly ban the teaching of these things, it, it effectively bans the, it's not official, but it's an effective ban on teaching these things because teachers risk their careers simply by teaching what's true. And you look at, by contrast, what's happening here in Canada, where we're taking a good cold hard look at things like residential schools and past political leaders and looking at taking, stripping away the mythology and looking bare at the history, factual history that's there. Now, I think what's getting lost in a lot of this is context. Unfortunately, people are judging historical figures from 150 years ago through the lens of today, which absolutely nobody can pass that test. I mean, nowadays, there's uh, there's the, the the individual in Tokyo, one of the Tokyo Olympic officials, who made a Holocaust joke in like 1998. Yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and has has been relieved of their duties. And while as a Jew, I don't find Holocaust jokes to be jokes, I find them reprehensible. It was 1998, and there has to be. I think there needs to start being a common sense statute of limitations, or at least a proper assessment of what has this person done since then in their life? Because people make mistakes. People say stupid things. People yeah. believe stupid things. Yeah. And if it's going to haunt you for 20, 30 years, there but was we're, that, all, we're all in a lot of we're trouble. All, we're all like, I, I'm glad that there was no internet when I was growing up. Not that I did anything terrible, but no, I had but... political beliefs back then that I don't support now. Yep. And would I want to be held to that because I held those political beliefs in, in 1992? Um, and I would be. And that's the way it, that's the way the world is working. It's it's wretched, um, but I think that the United States is is separating into two separate countries, and I wonder if that will ever be there will ever be a political solution to that. Well, and the, it's like the Civil War never really resolved anything. It didn't really. No, it you never know, did. It didn't stick. Um, and and you know you can see the dividing line so so so, so clearly. Um, in, you know, attitudes towards, you know, whether it's race or religion or science um, or, you know, or government itself, uh, you know, it's still the Mason-Dixon line. And, you know, and while I love Florida, I've got friends in, in, in deep south states, you know, in you know, Texas is a beautiful place to visit and there's some really nice people there. But, you know, it, it's like the Civil War never happened in a lot of those places in terms of attitudes. And, you know, talking about rolling back uh, education, again, one of the, the provinces in Canada that actually is doing fairly brutal violence to the educational curriculum at the moment is, again, Alberta. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're taking out a ton of stuff um, that uh, has been developed by, by people who actually know pedagogy, you know, people who actually are specialists in learning an appropriate age appropriate uh, curriculum, and they're taking a big political axe to it and, and just hacking it out in ways that would, you know, would make, uh, you know, Texas and, and Louisiana and some of those states proud. Uh, you know, in Ontario, there's been a little fiddling around the edges. There was that weird story last week where uh, the Ford government took out of the math curriculum 
a preamble statement that said that uh, that mathematics is is a, a colonial device uh, that's that's made to make other other cultures feel bad. Um, it, it was it was the strangest story, and I kind of like it. Like I hate math as much as the next person. All I have to do is look at my math marks um, yeah. from from from, from public school and high school. Yeah, but I'm going like but mathematics is racist. I can see how statistics is racist. I can see how all kinds of other stuff is, but you know, it's not, you know, that math mathematics is, is a universal language. Well, it, you know, it, it, we've got Arabic numerals and the Egyptians and, you know, everyone is, has thrown in there, you know, math itself is difficult, but it isn't particularly racist. So when, you know, the Ford government ceremonially took this out of the, uh, uh, you know, out of the curriculum, it was, uh, it, it was the, you know, I, I kind of went, I'm not sure why it was in there in the first place. I mean, if it was in history or social studies or something else, then I'd be much more upset. But in math, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Well, math should not be about politics. Math should be about mathematics, period, end. Um, so why that thing was even there, you know, that's one of those things that, that, that knocks me off, off guard because I'm like, yeah, that's a case where the edge they make they made the right choice removing it it should never even have been there in the first place it was an overreach um and that i find happens so much as someone who identifies as liberal um i find myself so what's this what's the word i can use it isn't as strong as i actually mean uh discouraged mm -hmm. by the behavior of the left because the purity tests have become so strenuous and the name calling and the calling out and the attempts at canceling, um, they've become so, they're, they're all for diversity unless it's diversity of thought. And we're not talking about something that is completely opposed to a, a liberal way of thinking. We're talking about something that has shades, the shades of difference between, you know, there, there's a shared goal, but differences in how you think it could be achieved. Well, if you don't all agree that it can be achieved the same way, then you're an apostate and you're worse than somebody on the right uh, because you're a betrayer uh, on the left. And this is just driving people like I've stopped identifying myself as anything to do with left. I am liberal. Uh, I'm a, uh, you know, I have liberal views. Uh, sometimes those views lean more uh, to the conservative liberal end. Sometimes they lean more to the liberal liberal end. But I will not identify with anything left anymore because the left has just become tyrannical. And I, I, I just, I weep for that because so many great movements could, could be happening. So many alliances could be happening and able to actually push progress further forward in a smart way. And it's falling apart due to infighting. No, oh, it's true. And, you know, one of my favorite uh, sayings is that uh, the, the, uh, the right is always looking for converts and the left is always looking for traitors. Um, <laughs> yes. and, 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 and that's, that's been the problem with, with the left because, you know, anytime you do, um, you know, say anything that's like, well, you know, maybe, and, you know, they jump all over you. And it's, you know, when you talk about historical context, I mean, as I like to do, because I like history, you know, I get to inevitably a whole pile of people jumping on me. And, you know, when I say, well, let me tell you about Henry Dundas, you know, Henry Dundas actually as a lawyer 
took on a case in, in Scotland of a Jamaican slave and won it, establishing the principle that no one could be a slave on Scottish soil. Now, how does that figure into the, the narrative that, that he was just a terrible racist? And it's like, well, people are complex and you can be a terrible racist and you can, and you can have a day job that helps you free slaves at the same time. But most people are just unaware of that. And just pointing out sort of the ambiguities of history inevitably, I, I don't know what I'm more disheartened by. I get, you know, I get some crazy right-wing people going like, yeah, yeah, that, you know. Let, yeah, you, you know, hate that give, too. Give it to them. It's like, oh no, that wasn't the point. <laughs> that yeah, point yeah. wasn't, it wasn't to defend Edgerton Ryerson or to defend uh, you know, Henry Dundas. It's to say, look, this is complicated. And if you don't know the whole story, then maybe, you know, you, you maybe you should be quiet about your opinion. But on the left, you get, you know, people going like, no, you're defending a slave owner. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm just telling you the history of this. There's of no, thing. there's no shades of gray from the loud left. There's no, no and, shades of gray, no nuance. It is all 100% or zero. And, you know, even with this Ford mathematics thing, you know, I, I looked at it and, you know, I, I, I'm a compulsive fact checker. I like to look stuff up. If I, I go like, that doesn't sound right, or I don't really understand this. I want to go back to the main documents and say, well, what did it say? And uh, so I, pull, I, I pulled up the, uh, the Ford mathematics. It was the grade nine curriculum. And the part that, that the Ford government dropped said, and this is a quote, mathematics has been used to normalize racism and marginalization of non-Eurocentric mathematical knowledges and a decolonial anti-racist approach to mathematics education makes visible its historical roots and social constructions. That's a load of nonsense. Well, you can see that this was written by some very incredibly earnest focus group on diversity that has a professional diversity coach who leads them through it. And then they came up with a whiteboard of jumble like this. And I just said, well, that's just nuts. I mean, that's just, um, you know. Nonsensical, much of what we're taught. I mean, there's uh, a lot of things that we were taught that uh, were founded by uh, Muslim scholars. Oh yeah, and by Greeks, Europe by Persians, the, by. Yeah, when Europe was in the dark ages, uh, it was uh, Muslim scholars and mathematicians who picked up the, 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 the rod and kept running and developed things like algebra, algebra. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a bunch, yeah. You know, it's. <laughs> These are, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm not. Another reason to be mad. Yeah, another, re yeah, I, I realize now I'm stoking hatred. <laughs> uh, but the fact is that uh, Western curriculum of mathematics includes mathematics developed by Muslims, by Persians, by Arabs. Mm. It's the notion that it is all white Eurocentric is not even historically accurate. No. It's, I, I just get the feeling that there are some white people who just hate that they're white people or they love being white people so they can hate themselves. Yeah. Oh, you know, this was written by white people. I mean, it sounds oh, like, that, by, like white people sort of aping. Ain't no, the, you know, the, no. I talked to like, I have, I have numerous, not just one friend. I have numerous friends who are people of color and to, their, their reaction to things like this is far more colorful <laughs> than what you or I would have. They, uh, they just dismiss it all as complete bullshit and they will point out reasons why it's completely untrue. And they'll also point out how within their own community, there is tremendous amounts of bigotry um, towards uh, people, tears within their own community, segments within their own, and, and segments in other communities. And it makes you realize that no, racism and bigotry is a human ailment. It is not a white condition. 
It is something that is now the argument is that white people are in a position of power so they can do something with their bigotry. Okay, I understand that argument, but it doesn't change the fact that white people did not invent bigotry and are not the only people that practice bigotry. And the only white people think that only white people are bigots. Yeah, well, you know, and you know, I had a, a, a lesson in that in my old house. I had uh, a couple of beautiful rocking chairs on our porch. And uh, one day I came out to get the paper and I got the paper and went, there's something wrong here. And uh, well, the chairs are gone. So, you know, I, I go and I lived at that time an incredibly diverse neighborhood. Um, you know, I was one, you know, my wife and I were like one of the few, you know, Anglo-Saxon families on, on the block that we were very close to a mosque and it had been originally been in an Italian Portuguese neighborhood. So, and, and it had a, 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 a big, uh, you know, new Canadian population. So I, I started asking the neighbors saying, well, you know, my chairs are gone. My wife really loved these chairs mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, they're, they're reasonably expensive. And, uh, you know, so I, I, you know, I asked my neighbor who was from Grenada, a very lovely black woman. And she said, well, no, I, you know, I bet you it was the Chinese guys across the street. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay. All right. So, and, you know, in the course of the day, you know, not because she said that, but, you know, I mentioned the Chinese neighbors said, oh no, you know, I think it was the Muslims across the street because, you know, those guys, I'm like, okay. And, you know, and I'm feeling like very embarrassed with, with my, my, my white uh, sensitivity about all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking him to point fingers necessarily. I'm just saying like, where are my chairs? Yeah. And, you know, everyone had a different, ethnic minority who they pointed the finger to not on the basis of any evidence but because historically they didn't get along very well with that particular group or they had preconceived ideas so like you say it is a universal and it is true you know we white people have had it really good for a long time and so you know prejudice in our hands is a much sharper tool than it is in the hands of people who can't uh, really you know stick it to anybody else but at the same time like I say so I see some 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 sensitive do-gooders sticking junk like this into the uh, into the mathematics curriculum grade nine I said you know you're just embarrassing yourselves but I did see an awful lot of people on the left who were uh, you know really outraged that that would be taken out of the math curriculum and <laughs> they're and they're 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 fomenting the backlash and is I'm what going, they're doing well yeah exactly and they're make, trying to make a big deal out of it and I'm going okay guys you're putting me in a really tough spot because I'm going to have to say that I, I agree with something the Doug Ford government did and I really don't want to do that yeah yeah, um, yeah. don't put don't put don't me, put there, me in bro. that <laughs> exactly <laughs> don't put me in that spot yeah no it's and you know further to your story I uh and then uh, Leanna joined me uh, living in a uh, townhouse community uh years ago and uh, we were one of three families or three townhouse units uh, that were ostensibly white. I say ostensibly because you ask a white supremacist and they're not going to say I'm white. Um, but the rest of the uh, community, the townhouse development was almost monolithic in its ethnicity. And many of them were new, new, new Canadians, immigrants. And we were treated so poorly by uh by that that community um the it, it, it seemed to be something to do with racism with us not belonging there certainly the comments were towards that and their actions towards us were like that and this is i'm not even mentioning the ethnic group because it doesn't matter because it could be any ethnic group because human beings are tribal by nature 
I mean, people still fight over who's better, DC or Marvel. I mean, we <laughs> pe- people will always find tribes and sub-tribes to belong to. Um, and while the consequences of white hegemony uh, are s- serious and, and real, um, we have to stop making it seem like it's some kind of mental illness in white people that causes bigotry because bigotry occurs across the board, regardless of how much impact it has sociologically, it still exists. And to try to make one particular, to to discern motives based on somebody's ethnic origin um, or skin color is bigotry. And it's ironic that that is what is being done to people of an Anglo-Saxon background, of which I don't have. I'm not, I'm not part of that group. Um, but I look at it and say, it's, it's, you're invalid nowadays if you've got an opinion, but you happen to be of an Anglo-Saxon background. And I don't like that because quite frankly, it's still Anglo-Saxons who hold the balance of power in many ways. And you need the people who are in power on side they're the ones who are going to open the door for you. It's yeah. you, you yelling about how unfair it is, isn't opening the door. Well, it's and convincing I, the people in power that it is unfair and that they should open the door. You need people in the people who hold the, the influence and power, you need them on side and you don't do that by going too far and making yourself yourself into uh, making ridiculous statements like that one about math, you lose people. And you can't afford to lose people. You can't afford to turn uh, potential allies into opponents simply because of your, your ardent zeal and your own internal uh, anger and perhaps hatreds. Yeah. And, you know, and to, and to show that, you know, that you are, you are better than other people. I mean, an example came up just this past week, too, where uh, Carolyn Bennett, who's the Minister of Indigenous Affairs, was uh, the subject of a, uh, of a, a, you know, a, a, a mini media frenzy because there were some cl- complaints in her office by, uh, by some Indigenous people that she was, you know, dismisses, dismissive of them. And I'm, I think, you know, I, I knew Carolyn Bennett a long time ago. She's been in politics <clears throat> a very long time. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I lost you know, contact with her, you know, 15, 20 years ago or something. You know, I follow her career, but I can tell you that I, you know, I had never met a more earnest and dedicated person towards the indigenous cause than Carolyn Bennett. And here, you know, much to, you know, to what you were just saying, here is an ally who has worked in a, in a pretty, uh, unforgiving and, and and difficult portfolio for for ages. You know, a portfolio that a lot of people you know wouldn't wouldn't touch, and uh, you know was a real ally of, of First Nations and Indigenous people, and you know they're trying to use you know it, uh, an Indigenous complaint as a way of bringing her down. And I'm going like, ah, okay. It's a minister's office. I mean, I, I worked in a minister's office, you know, a long, long, long time ago. But I'll tell you, there are hotbeds of ego and backstabbing, gossip and backstabbing, and, and politics. And, and it wasn't and even a, feeling like, like they're not appreciated and not being listened to because they're smarter than the minister. But the minister well, and the ambition. You can cut the ambition with a knife. It's so thick. My understanding is it wasn't even they were complaining about her. They were complaining about people in her office. Yeah, which yeah. is which was then reflecting upon her, but she her being a minister, how often is she actually in her office? The truth is, probably not that often. Certainly not if it's a constituency office. Probably next to never. Um, 
And, you know, is it possible that there was somebody in that office who was acting imperiously towards staff? Uh, yes. Almost certainly. Yeah, <laughs> almost definitely. If you've worked in an office, you know there are people like that. And did that happen because there were some Indigenous people working there? Did it happen to impact upon these people? Yes. Was it because they were Indigenous? Almost certainly not. It was pro these people, these Martinets, these, these, these ambitious, backstabbing people, they don't see race, creed, color. They see obstacles. They don't care what your ethnicity is. They don't care where your parents came from. They just see you as an obstacle and they, or they see you as a means to, in, to ennoble themselves by what they get accomplished. So they turn you into, they become, um, uh, I, I hate to use the term slave drivers, but we know what that means colloquial, colloquially. Um, they drive people to, to just work, 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 because then the individual who's commanding them gets the credit for the amount of work that's produced. Yeah. Do I think that this had anything to do with these people being indigenous? I don't know specifically the case, but I know enough about, and I've been in enough political offices to know that it is more than likely just that they're dealing with a real ass. Yeah. And, you know, and politics, especially at certain levels is full of them. No, oh, at, at all levels. At all levels at, and, at, and, and all parties. So yeah, some parties all, absolutely. Be, some parties may be more than others. But yes, well, right now parties. there's a party that's having some problems. The, the Green Party continues <laughs> to, it's like, it, it's amazing that, that they only have two feet because they've shot themselves in each foot several times now. I think you know, they're, they're starting to shoot up their legs. <laughs> they're, it's, well, and, and the latest now is that, you know, that enemy Paul, came out of this thing and it looked for like 12 seconds that they'd got it behind themselves. That they, yes. That they got themselves reorganized with the United Front and they said, okay, we're not going to yank her membership, which was a weird thing. And we're not going to defund her office and have a leadership review, you know, today. Yeah. Um, so it's like, okay, everyone's going to sing Kumbaya. We're all good. And then it turns out that the resolution came about as a result of an, a labor arbitration based on her employment contract. So while all this was going on, nobody knew that they'd actually gone to an arbitrator because she has an employment contract that guarantees her certain things. And you can't fire me because it's right here in my contract. Uh, and the, the people who are trying to give her a tough time are now appealing the decision of the arbitrator to the Ontario Superior Court, which is the only reason that we heard about it because they wrote it all down and put it in their pleadings. So it's just like, oh my God, this is just getting worse and worse. Well, it's like they don't think. Are, are they, they, they've become so obsessed with Annemi Paul that they've lost the, the big picture that they are a political party on a national level that is hoping to successfully get members elected in what is projected or, or suspected to be a fall election. And even if there isn't a fall election, they're still falling apart. They're, they're lower in the polls than they were when Anne Paul was elected. And it's hard to believe that the infighting isn't a reason, a factor for them being low in the polls. And they may even suffer reversals in seat counts when yeah. the next election happens because they just seem like these are people, it's the gang that couldn't shoot straight. They're making war against themselves. Why would you give them your franchise? They, how do you expect them 
to run a country, for example, when they can't even govern themselves with, with civility and with compromise. There's, there is nothing to recommend voting for this party at this point in time. They are an absolute mess. Yeah, and yeah, and I've got to think that the Liberals and the NDP are both rubbing their hands together because I, some of the Green vote will probably go to the NDP. Um, although we've said before, you know, the Green Party's financial policies are more right-wing than most people suspect. Yeah, somebody um, uh, somebody on Twitter said that they're um, uh, uh, conservatives in electric cars. <laughs> well, yeah, that that is a great. Yeah, I, I will use that. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. But I think the liberals are probably happy about it too, because I think as a protest vote, a lot of liberals, if you're unhappy with something that the liberals are doing, it's a great place to park your vote and still feel like you haven't betrayed them to the NDP, right? And uh, you know, and and it's a harmless vote because they're not going to get in anyway. So I can vote green with good conscience, uh, even though I normally would vote liberal because I'm I'm unhappy about something. Um, right. So a lot of those people, you know, some of those voters may stay home, but some of them would go like, "Oh, I can't park my vote with the Greens anymore. I guess I'm going to vote Liberal." So I imagine both Liberals and NDP are rubbing their hands in glee, watching watching this complete meltdown. I don't even know if it'll take a long time for this party to heal itself. Um, well, who's going to do the healing is the question. I mean, who who is in the wings who can, you know, rise above all this stuff and, and stand on top of the rubble and say, guess what? It's it's a new day for the Green Party, and I'm going to lead you into into a bright and greener future. Who is that? There, you know. Well, if maybe Elizabeth May decides to come back. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure she's happy to be out of that. I'm sure she is, but she is the only figure that could unite that party right now. You know, Anybody it really knew was, it was it was a it was a, a vanity party at the you know yeah, it, personality. It, it, yeah, it was a, a personal party, and she could come back and do that now. Anybody else is going to have one faction or the other support them, so the factionalism will continue. It seems that in the Green Party, um, the side that didn't win wasn't able to accept the fact that they didn't win, and they're real sore losers. This is the, like the Republicans in the U.S. Uh, their choice for leader didn't didn't pan out. Annamie Paul won. And rather than closing ranks and saying, she's our leader now, they continue to, to I'm sabotage her. to the house. Yep. Yeah. And th- th- this is not a, mat- a, p- a political party of mature individuals. This is a political party of children. Um, I don't care how old they are. They're immature and their behavior is not worthy of a national party. And uh, another slight happened to Annemi Paul when the liberals called a uh, conference on anti-Semitism in Canada and Annemi Paul wasn't invited to speak because the answer she got was we're trying to make this a place where members of the community can speak. And she says, I'm Jewish. This is my community, um, <laughs> which I was like, yeah, that's kind of a foolish step for the liberals to make because it's an unforced error. Yeah, better I, to I, I, I will give her a platform and and you know get her hounded by the uh, by the press after everyone about her leadership. Yeah, I would I would think that it looks better on the liberals to find the only Jewish national party leader and let her make her comments. She's not going to be making a pledge for the Green Party in such a place. Um, it would have looked like the liberals are were more serious of making this an actual event as opposed to something political in nature. Um, 
And I don't understand necessarily. I guess I do understand why they've had separate days to focus on anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. But uh, because if you combine them together, each group is going to feel like they're getting short shrift. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe they would be. But I can also see that maybe there needed to be a third day, which combined anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, all forms of bigotry uh, that go on in this country, and having just a general conversation on, on the problems of bigotry within systems in Canada. Uh, I would have, I, if had I been in charge, that's what I would have done. Um, but there's no danger of that being the situation. You know, and you know, we've talked before that you know incidents of anti-Semitic uh, um, uh, activity ha has gone up, and uh, as has Islamophobia. So, you know, some of it has been you know very headline grabbing. You know, mm -hmm. people uh, you know murdering families and uh, you know by dry, you know, running them over for no oh. no reason at all. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, I think you know, and not to minimize one or the other, as we said, you know, there, there are more incidents of anti-Semitic uh, problems, and there are, but there are there are fewer, but more violent examples of anti-Islamic uh, um, violence. So, you know, but but a problem is a problem, and you know, they both have very very similar problems. I think they have different demographics that are after each other. I don't think it is anymore. Each of those groups, you know. We're not mirroring the Middle East. It's not, you know, it's not like the Jewish uh, community is having trouble with the Islamic community and the Islamic community is having trouble with the Jewish community. No, they, they seem to get along pretty well because they both realize that, you know, they both have, uh, have, have detractors and they're both under, under siege to a certain extent. Well, there's, but, the, uh, there's, there have been numerous joint responses yeah, by absolutely. Jewish and Islamic groups to events in the world from here in Canada, where I used to live at Bayview and Steeles. There's uh, a mosque and a synagogue that share a parking lot and they allow each other extra parking and stuff like that on, on their respective holy days. Oh, it works so well. And they get along. It's been like this for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, and they get along perfectly well. Uh, one of the great things about Canada is people can come here with perspectives from other parts of the world, but you, they don't tend to bring the hatreds with them. Um, so while uh, Jewish people and Muslims will likely have conflicting opinions on what's going on in the Middle East, they don't hate each other for it. No. Both sides recognize the tragedy uh, that is continuing to unfold there yeah. and recognize that making somebody your enemy is just furthering it. Like There's something about the Canadian experience that allows people to maintain uh, connection and loyalty to their ethnic heritage, to their religion, and still deal with people who back in the homeland um, you're, you're fighting with or have been centuries long enemies, but you can still deal with these people here on a peaceful civil level. And there's, there's just a general understanding in Canada that we commit ourselves to civility. And that's why we see groups that in other parts of the world are at each other's throats here in Canada, make efforts to get along and find common cause. Yeah, and people who import those kinds of issues from overseas are 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 generally condemned as well. I mean, there's a real, it's not just a positive thing. There's a real sort of negative backlash against people who do try to uh, 
bring bring over sectarian violence you know whether it's whether it's ireland or or uh, um, or middle eastern or african or 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 indian pakistan or whatever you know they you see all kinds of joint things and it, it's i think it's important to note famously that you know whenever there is a tragedy that befalls either the uh, the jewish community or the islamic community it's the other one that often is there first uh, with help i mean when a mosque uh, you know is is uh, is vandalized you know the jewish community is like the first one there to help them out and and vice versa as well when a when a, a synagogue is uh, is vandalized you know the you know the muslim community is usually there to uh, you know you know to uh, to raise money and to offer facilities and you know food baskets and whatever else um so there really is a you know a, a unique symbiotic relationship in canada well, that that is well we recognize that if you let it's one of those things that that uh, when they came for so and so I said nothing and when they came for me no one spoke up for me it's I think that uh, Jews and Muslims here recognize that the hate for for them draws from a similar pool yeah and if you allow that hate to 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 grow against one group it's not long until it it jumps over to the other group like an infection and so it's like, no, no, we recognize, we understand hatred. We understand the nature of hatred and where it comes from and what happens if we let it go unchecked. It doesn't stay, you know, it doesn't stay contained. It, it, bursts, it bursts borders. You know, and, you know, you know, I think not, not uniquely in the world, but, uh, you know, it is a point of, of the governments that uh, they're very serious about about sectarian violence, about uh, about hate. I mean, Canada has some of the strongest anti-hate laws, and backs it up with with action as well. And you know, I think that is one of the hallmarks of of, of Canadian society is that not only do we have this general feeling out there among the population, we have a government that is prepared to act on it. And I think with that uh, salute to Canada, we will call it a night. Um, lots to talk about. We uh, sort of seamlessly went from one thing to another today they all seem to sort of link together in one one form or another wasn't that the case uh, yeah. so let's uh it's agree. all one big thing it's all it yes it's one thing leads to another the head bones connected to the neck bone whatever that <laughs> song is um let's uh agree to join us to join each other again next week at the same time and uh talk about whatever happens to be in the news at that time it's a date all right. Stephen Lawton's can be found on Twitter at Stephen Lawton's, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-A-U-T-E-N-S. We have a Facebook page for Stephen and Stephen. And I encourage you to listen to uh, my current project, uh, newmusicnation.ca, where we spotlight the rather amazing talents of unsung Canadian artists. I tell you that I'm, I've watched over 700 videos at this point, and I'm blown away by the, not just the quality of the videos, but the quality of the music and the, the variety of music, it's really something else. And I'm not, I'm not somebody who's a giant music fan, and I'm blown away by this has made me a much bigger music fan, just listening to this stuff uh, and watching the video. So check it out, newmusicnation.ca. Here, and, and, and I'm not paid to say this too, but I'll say that I, I, I've been watching. Uh, and uh, the one you did from Kensington Market of uh, the What Were They Thinking uh, oh, videos, yes. Yes. it was, you, it, it was, it was hilarious. I, it, the, the music itself was, was entertaining enough, but, uh, but Ed's commentary on the music uh, took me right back to, uh, to the good old days. 
Well, there's another one of those coming up shortly. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. Can't wait. And uh, Ed also hosts a show called Yo Canada, which uh, has similar uh, tones to the show called, Are, that you're referring to as Are You Kidding? Are there's, You Kidding? Yeah. There's good videos um, rather than hilarious videos, but there's an awful lot of talking to people on the street and getting that street culture, that's that street voice that used to be there. Um, that's the strength of the Yo Canada show. So I'd encourage you to check that one out too. And uh, at that, we're going to say good night. Good night, Stephen. Hey, good night, Stephen. And good night and good day or good afternoon to whenever you're listening to this, to all of you. Thank you for listening. And this has been Stephen and Stephen, and I am Stephen Kersner. <laughs>